Hello and welcome to another episode of Into the Tech of It. I am your host, Jaime Cabrera, and today we will have a conversation with Katie Joseph and Anna Goodwin. Katie is a research fellow at the Center for Media Engagement. Her past areas of research include political disinformation and election manipulation, both within the US and abroad, the psychological biases underlying propaganda, partisanship, anti-Semitism, targeted harassment of marginalized groups, the effects of false information on journalism and journalists, and the ethics of emerging technologies, including AR, VR, and AI surveillance. She studies social neuroscience and international security as an undergraduate, and partisanship and disinformation as a media studies master's student. Her BA and MA are from Stanford University. And Anna is a research assistant with the propaganda team at the Center for Media Engagement. She is currently pursuing a bachelor's degree in journalism at the University of Texas at Austin in the Moody College of Communication. In this episode, we will talk about social media influencers and the role they had in the 2020 U.S. election. Hi, Katie and Anna, and thank you so much for being here in the podcast. Uh, it's it's been wonderful to just uh, do all these episodes and talk about what you know with experts and people doing research. And I'm so glad that we have you here. And today we're going to speak about influencers and you know political propaganda. And I just wanted you to you know first first of all tell us uh, about what you found. But initially, just explain to us how do, how do we define influencers if it's possible and uh, and the context that brought you to this to this research that you did well first of all uh, I'll explain the context that brought us to this through the Center for media engagement the propaganda research lab we got two big grants one of them was on how encrypted messaging applications and encrypted spaces were being used to influence the 2020 political election in the US mm -hmm. India Mexico, So in the U.S. context, we're interviewing political strategists and my colleague Jacob Gursky and I, and over and over again, the topic of influencers, particularly the mobilizing of small scale influencers who had you know, less than 50,000 followers or nano influencers with less than 10,000 followers uh, was being used to you know, spread political messaging in the U.S. context. So then that led Anna and I to take a deep dive and go and interview 20 different uh, influencer executives, people who coordinate meme pages, who um, coordinate all types of influencers, as well as political strategists, people who are from the political side of the spectrum who are trying to mobilize influencers and the influencers themselves. So that's the basis of our findings. And yeah, and I don't know if you want to <laughs> take a stab. Take a stab at defining influencers, maybe. Yeah, I'm a bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I I got on the project because it was available, and I came onto the lab, and I thought it was interesting. Um, but I never envisioned myself studying influencers ever in my entire life, and now I know so much more than I ever wanted to. Um, but so, an influencer is essentially like in the definition for our paper purposes is. Um, an individual who's basically leveraged their social media platform for influence or to like as a brand itself. Um, and they often have brand partnerships and they get paid to post uh, like branded content and that type of thing. And it is a way that they can make money um, using the audience that they've built on these social media platforms. 
Um, so a lot of our work, though, has been focused on the ways that political campaigns are starting to use influencers to spread campaign messaging specifically. Um, and it's kind of following in the footsteps of what's been happening in the brand world for quite a while. Okay. And so we've seen these influencers. Uh, I'm sure the listeners have also seen them. You know, we follow them too. We like the content too. And uh, we're kind of like used to seeing them promoting a certain brand or a certain like product probably. Um, but since when uh, did like political campaigns started looking into influencers as opposed to just, you know, like big ads on the TV or other types of like propaganda? Well, when we started conducting interviews back summer of 2020, a lot of the influencer executives we spoke to mentioned having approached political campaigns back in 2018 saying, mm. we know how to reach these demographics through really trusted messengers. Like if you need to reach one example, they said like, if you need to reach African-Americans within a certain age who are women in Detroit, we know how to reach them through influencers. And several of the influencer executives said that they had gone to campaigns back in 2018 and tried to explain how they can reach these groups and that the campaigns weren't interested. But the interest had started increasing prior to 2020. And though the campaigns were still hesitant, some of them, because working with influencers requires giving up a lot more control than just sending out a Facebook ad or another type of ad where they can specifically control the content. Um, so there was actually quite, you know, through our interviews, we got to understand that we were observing the adoption of influencers through a transition phase where there had been a lot of, you know, people who are promoting the use of influencers from the commercial side and that the campaigns were slower to adopt. But by the time we finished our interviews back in March of 2021, more campaigns we spoke to had used influencers and had used them successfully, especially small scale that were used to, you know, spread content amongst their specific communities through, you know, these quote again, trusted messengers. Um, So it's been a slow adoption, but everyone we spoke to seems to think it's going to be of increasing popularity. Um, And additionally, there's the components, of course, of COVID and not being able to use door to door, you know, knocking. Okay. And uh, in the paper, you mentioned, you know, this like canvassing and uh, and I believe there is this concept of like some people see it as maybe like e-canvassing or just like canvassing online. Is it like an accurate description of what working with influencers is? Uh, well, that's the question, right? Um, is that that's what the political campaigns say and that's the justification that that people who are trying to coordinate influencers give um but there are some questions with it and one of those questions is scale and like the audience reach that a single influencer can have with a political post Mm -hmm. versus a you know canvasser who's going out and disclosure is like another really big concern about like whether they're actually saying that they're working with a campaign whether they've been paid or whether they've been given like swag or something in exchange for making a post on social media um there's there are some key differences um, from our findings between a person showing up on somebody's doorstep, having a one on one conversation with them, wearing some kind of like indication that they are a part of a political campaign to, you know, you know, disclose that versus somebody online who's making a social media post that could be reaching thousands or potentially millions of people at one time that may or may not carry a disclosure with it. So. 
Yeah. And as Ada was saying, that's the great complexity that we've come upon in this project is just, is it grassroots or is it, you know, covert manipulation? Because often these influencer campaigns, whether it's around a hashtag or a certain topics such as like healthcare for all, it, um, you know, it's, in, it's intended to inspire other influencers and other people to post and get involved. And we also spoke to a range of different types of executives, some who advocated for paying influencers just like they would pay canvassers. But many of them we spoke to said, no, we should just compensate them, like Anna said, through swag or through access to the candidate or, you know, even saying they gave the example of posting a photo of the with the candidate and how that gives the influencer legitimacy and it gets you know is a win-win for everyone because the candidate gets more exposure uh another person we interviewed talked about how they don't pay influencers but these small scale influencers get more followers because the candidate will respond to their post and interact with them online um and so there's ways that people can be compensated other than payment where you know, door-to-door canvases, canvassers are either volunteers or they're paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, you know, inspire copycats or people who are inspired by the, you know, the apparent grassroots campaign also want to post. So okay. it's very murky. Okay. And uh, so, and you mentioned, you know, like the use of these influencers as essentially just another tool for political campaigns to just reach out and engage. And, and what's the main difference between the, the previous tactic then of just using bots? Like what's, you know, why is it more, is it more cost effective? Because it's, it would seem that maybe just developing a network to just uh, retweet the content or automatically like something. What is it about influencers that makes this practice preferable as opposed to just like a, a bot network? Well, I think one of the big findings that we've had is about authenticity and the ability to, you know, be using an influencer, especially a smaller scale influencer is what we focus a lot of our work on who do have pretty high levels of trust with the individuals who are in their specific audience. Um, and they're typically pretty highly engaged with their followers. So Mm -hmm. they're liking and commenting and talking back and answering questions and, and all of that, um, that you almost, they almost are able to leverage a friend to friend or like family member relationship versus it. And so like, if you're endorsing a candidate or a cause and you are in that position with your followers, you're basically transferring trust between that influencer and the people that are listening to what they say versus a bot that like could be used to amplify content and promote things to a point that it could, you know, start spreading. Um, but I think that those two, like the, the goals are a little bit different between those two tactics. Yeah. Just to like double click on what Anna was saying is in 2020, a big trend, particularly among the Democrats was relational organizing, friend to friend organizing, trying to get people to mobilize amongst their friend and family networks. And so moving away from anonymous accounts that are just swaying public opinion through manufactured consensus and to people actually having conversations one-on-one with their networks. And so these small-scale influencers are a good proxy to communicate with those particular networks, particularly if you want to, especially small-scale influencers, since they often, you know, they have already, they have real resistance like real authentic relationships with their followers. They share some type of common interest or they're from some particular region. So you can use small scale influencers to target groups that you want to particularly mobilize. So it's uh, in some ways more refined targeting and you get to 
capitalize on those trusted relationships. Yeah, and one. Of, oh, sorry. <laughs> one of one of the big um, you know areas of opportunity that we heard from people are like in situations like swing states where they actually are trying to convince people of like to change their opinion or to vote one way or another who haven't made up their minds. They're relying on that relationship with somebody in their actual community, somebody that they oftentimes do actually know, especially on the small scale influencers, they're typically actually a member of the community that they're, that they are located in and have some sway there. Um, So it's a pretty powerful tool to put a campaign message or an endorsement into the hands of that individual influencer to target that specific group. Okay, and and we're talking about uh, as you said, like small scale influencers. So these are not, you know, the A list celebrities. These are not like other people with you know millions of followers. Uh, these are just you know everyday people who, as you said, and, and your paper, which we're going to link in the description of the podcast as well, so that people can read it too. Um, you're talking about people who also have the time to engage right so so can respond and can also maybe if someone posts a question specifically they can go and maybe if they if they claim to have contact with a political um figure they can bring responses to them uh is there a definition that that you work with as you know when it comes to the scale of influencer like number of followers or location or something like that it's funny you should ask that. <laughs> um, we're just we're we're writing our academic paper now, and we're just speaking on an interview or a meeting prior to this about a term because the number of followers doesn't necessarily translate across multiple platforms. So okay. you know, we spoke to people primarily on Instagram and TikTok, and on TikTok, it's a very different metric system for how you measure influence. And so we're more looking at a term we're still figuring out, but more like a relational influencer since these, this type of coordination of influencers is particularly on people who, who really have relationships with their followers. And one thing of note is that several people we talked to said the, the best type of influencer to work with, if this is your goal, are people whose job is not being an influencer, who are not even usually traditionally paid for being an influencer. In fact, they have another profession and maybe they have another role in the community and are a trusted member of community. So it goes back to very old school type of influence in um, you know democracy where you're mobilizing pastors or other community organizers, but now they're trying to mobilize people who have also a following on social media. Okay, so so I guess the most valuable influencers in this case are the ones who, you know, are already in, like influential in another area, but then can also have a say in, you know, maybe a political run or something like that. Is that correct? Sure. Well, more just already are influential in the relation in the lives of their followers in any way. So like okay. even, you know, we saw people who are mobilized who only had like a few, you know, 1000 followers, but they're friends with all those people. They're, they're real friends. And so, um, and that goes back to that kind of grassroots versus AstroTurf where it's like, if I'm just posting on my Instagram and I'm not an influencer and I'm just telling my friends like, Oh, you really should know about this bill that's coming up and we should be voting, you know, calling our, um, you know, representatives to vote this way. Like that's also a role of just like translating and being like an excited constituent. Mm -hmm. Um, but those people can also be coordinated in a top-down manner, and it's not always apparent that they're being coordinated because of the lack of disclosure, because there's no clear regulation around disclosure, mm-hmm. especially if there's no payment. Okay. And then when we talk about the, the you know, 
how many like if you're if if it's not a number of followers right it's just like just the relation that they have how can someone you know keep track of all this is there like other companies that specialize in this is it just you know like someone who comes across someone's page and they decide to reach out like did you find any like type of organization or coordination in this so i guess are you asking if there's like companies that coordinate influencers specifically yes Yeah. So when we are talking about like influencer executives, we spoke to people who run basically like influencer marketplaces. And so those are like tools. And and this is how like brands also identify people. They often like do branding campaigns for large companies as well. Um, But it's essentially influencers can be a part of these different platforms to help them find work and brand partnerships. And then brands can go on those same platforms and basically put out like um, an idea or I can't remember what the term was, but there's like, mm-hmm. there's some terms that they use. Um, that's basically like kind of just like a posting about like, Hey, we're doing this type of a campaign. We're looking for this type of a person, but there's also some extra tools to where they can like target by region or target by gender or tags and different things that fit like certain demographics that they're looking to impact. Um, so it basically allows brands and now political campaigns to coordinate at scale. Um, so there's that, but then there are also some political organizations that are specifically starting their own like proprietary lists and things and starting to kind of recruit people that they know are friendly to working with political campaigns as well. Yeah. And, and one thing to add on that is, um, these influencer firms that Anna was talking about, they have more and more small scale influencers on them because those are popular with brands because brands are also seeing the data about how increased engagement, higher trust with followers, you know, it's beneficial to the brand. So you can either do, so the different ways you can kind of coordinate, um, influencers is you can do top down through these firms or build a proprietary database that goes through by just looking at people's profiles, putting them all into one database and then contacting them through email. Um, We talk to people who are being coordinated through Facebook groups as well. And then there's also um, influencers also coordinate amongst each other through engagement pods and through collectives. So collectives are especially on TikTok where these bigger influencers so there's like republican house or tiktok leftists other groups um that anna mentioned we could expand on later and they're influencers who have a lot of followers and they decide to compound their influence and create a brand and kind of one group we talked to they have a board that's made up of influencers who decide what the influencers the different tiers of influencers are going to talk about that week and they also review kind of the content and they review for the members and you have to have a certain amount of following to be at a different tier and then they also sell merchandise to make money so there's the collectives and then there's also the engagement pods which all types of influencers use particularly people who are trying to become influencers Mm -hmm. so they join these pods on instagram dms or facebook groups or through encrypted messaging channels like um you know signal telegram and they um you know just coordinate amongst each other saying like for like and this many likes and this many hours and it's a way for them to you know artificially enhance their engagement uh, through collectively organizing and you call them this engagement pods right yes 
And and with this part, like, what's then? What's the incentive for the people who are the actual influencers? Like I said, money. Do they get paid? And how much do they get paid? I don't know if that's something that you found out, or is it just you know forming part of a group? Like, what's what kind of person is the the people who join these engagement pods? Um, I mean, I honestly, at least from my research into engagement pods, is that a lot of it has to do with with people trying to become influencers and trying to build a platform that's big enough that they can start making money from it. And I mean, like okay. people, are, I can't speak to everybody's motivations. There's probably a million different reasons that people are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things, one of the reasons that the engagement pods exist is that the Instagram algorithm changes all the time and they are constantly trying okay. to fight against those changes to inflate their platform so that they can stay relevant within people's feeds. Um, and so it, it's almost something that organically formed because of, because of the changes that the platforms are making that are impacting creator like profiles. Right. And then in addition to engagement pods, um, there are also like sharing apps. And so we didn't get the chance to interview anyone who worked on like sharing apps in the U S but we did talk to one of our colleagues, Jacob and, and Jimena, um, talked to a colleague, someone who does an engagement, uh, sorry, a like sharing app in Mexico. And that through that people share their lo- login credentials and they may look back later and say, Oh, look, I engaged with that politician's post or I did their poll, but they never did that themselves. It's because they're giving all their login credentials to this top down group. Um, and that's like technically, gray area or illegal depending on like the terms of service of if it's artificially enhancing um you know engagement but in that way those types of companies that run the like sharing apps they get paid by politicians or they get paid by events or celebrities to enhance their you know popularity yeah and one thing i will say just into like the motivation for why an influencer might engage in an engagement pod is that um, bots and other art, like types of artificial like am- like amplification of content. The brands are are constantly developing new technology, and the influencer marketplaces are also developing technology that they can use to actually go in and really check somebody's engagement numbers to see if there are okay. real followers, if they are people that are consistently engaged on their content. And so it's kind of just like this cat and mouse game mm-hmm. of influencers trying to do their best to evade some of that stuff and fighting against the Instagram algorithm changes all the time. Um, and so if they have other influencers who are engaging with their content that helps them, you know, it's, it's real people who are engaging. Um, and you know, they're constantly changing their tactics and stuff. Like they have rules around, like you have to leave a certain type of content Mm -hmm. because detection bots will come through and figure out that, that this is coming from a pod. Um, so it's kind of its own little like area that we, we haven't done like a ton of research into Mm -hmm. it because it was just a, a portion of our project, but it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> so they're essentially kind of like trying to game the new policies, right? So new policies come out, they realize that something's going on. And then this this board, right? This council of influencers, which sounds so bizarre to say, but uh, this the, the council just decides, well, this is how we're going to do it. And they share, I, I'm assuming they share like best practices as well. Well, and I don't even know that like a council of influencers would be like, 
the accurate term. There's actually just like companies that run these engagement floods. And most of the popular ones in the U.S. are run by a few specific companies that own, you know, a bunch of different engagement floods for different um, like categories and things. So they'll have like niches, like travel influencers will all be on once that they have people similar to them Mm -hmm. that are liking their content and sharing and engaging. Um, so it, that aspect of it is interesting as well because the, those companies are a little bit of a black box to us. We we tried to do some outreach and talk to them, and we like went down so many weird rabbit holes, <laughs> okay. like so many oh, strangeways. Right. Oh my gosh, what was that one platform that we like we pursued for weeks, and the only employee was like a fake account, and then the wow. the image of the girls on it was one girl pretending to be twins wearing two <laughs> different colored wigs. Okay. And it was like, and it's a huge platform. Like we went in their Telegram groups, and they have that, like tons of people. Like I don't huh. even know many thousands of people using these platforms. And there's, I think it was re- registered in Saudi Arabia. That yeah, huh. they're called. I think the, the name is Wolf Global. Like we never talked to anybody, so like you, they're easy. Yeah. To find. They run a bunch of the engagement platforms. So there was also like another thing to where they had like articles on medium that were written by a fake account that was called like emily violet or something like that but it used the profile picture of the founder of glossier as the profile picture and like jacob did like we were trying to track this person down and we knew that it was probably fake Uh um and so jacob did like a reverse image search and found out that they had just taken this person's profile picture and posted it on it 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 was bizarre yeah. Weird, weird so, thing. So there's clearly. Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say your question about the council is like these engagement pods are different from the collectives. So like uh-huh. the collectives, like they are also trying to coordinate and figure out like okay. how the algorithms are changing. Um, but that's like a universal thing. Like even Jacob and I attended a social media conference that's like mm-hmm. four people who just do social media advertising mm-hmm. back a year ago, and they were all like debating about how to keep up to the changes of the companies. And same with okay. the influencer executives that we talked to. Like when Instagram changed regarding the reach of hashtags, they were like, "We had no idea that that was going to happen prior to the 2020 election," and we're so glad that we had influencers because when you mm-hmm. work with small scale influencers, you don't have to use hashtag campaigns because you're already reaching the audience that you intend to reach mm-hmm. um, through those influencers. Okay. So yeah, it is a constant cat and mouse game across the board. Thank you for listening to the first part of this episode on social media influencers and the 2020 U.S. election. For our next episode, we will continue talking to Katie and Anna, and here's a little preview of how that conversation is going to go. One other trend that comes from these influencers is that influencers can help a candidate usurp the traditional process. So instead of going to become a prominently known like community leader, business leader, and then going through government and then doing town halls, instead they have already this pre-existing base of influencers who are hyping up this person and then a funder will see that and say wow they already have traction so they start giving them money which helps them get more influence and they can use those influencers as a megaphone to spread their messaging without ever having to do a debate or town hall like i mentioned this podcast is sponsored by the robert strauss center for international security and law at the university of texas at austin This project is part of the Bromley Fellowship, which provides research training and mentorship opportunities to graduate students of the University of Texas, aiming to involve students in international affairs early in their career.
to prepare the next generation of leaders to help develop solutions to the most pressing public policy challenges. I am Jaime Cabrera, and thank you for getting into the tech of it.